14, the 14th chapter of Matthew. Um, we're going to look at verse 22 down through verse 36, and you will see this is going to be directly related uh, with the message from John this morning. But Matthew 14, I want to begin in verse 22 and then read down through verse 36, and then you'll see exactly the connection between uh, these two texts this morning. Matthew 14, verse 22, the Bible says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased, and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Now, if you turn over to John 6, I want you to see immediately the connection between these two passages this morning. In John chapter number 6, we've been going through, of course, the book of John, verse by verse, and we had come to verse number 15, and Jesus has just performed the feeding of the 5,000 plus, and we see that the crowds around him, and the, the Jews especially, in verse number 15, had decided that they needed or wanted, desired to make him, Jesus, a king. But you see, it's by force. Notice in verse 15 of John 6, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And when evening was, even was now come, his disciples went down into the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whether they went. John is a less detailed than what Matthew was regarding this event. John basically gets right to the point. He doesn't share a lot of the extra details, but the event is the same. But what the Lord kept drawing my attention to this week, and sometimes this happens and other times it's not as apparent, but he kept drawing me to verse 17 and the situation that they were facing. And you'll see it says, and it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. 
I kept seeing the word dark. I kept seeing the phrase, Jesus was not come to them. I imagined myself being on the sea and imagining how dark it must have been. And thinking about the fear that comes along with darkness. Now, it's not so bad for me now, but as a child, I was fearfully afraid of the dark, about as bad as you could get. But I kept seeing this, and I kept putting these two thoughts together. Dark, and Jesus was not come to them. Dark, and Jesus was not come to them. These disciples must have felt these emotions. They must have felt it's dark, and Jesus is not with us. Now, there's not a one of us here today, and again, this is just an application. This is not expounding this text necessarily, but there's not a one of us today that has not felt that way, to where it has been so dark, and yet we feel as if Jesus is not with us. I can only imagine that these disciples felt like they were going to be in great trouble. They felt it's dark, and where is Jesus? Where is he? We know what it is to be in trouble. We know what it is to sometimes fear as if God has left us and God has forsaken us. And yet we as believers know God never leaves us nor forsakes us. us. We're never alone. But it was dark. Jesus wasn't there. I would imagine that this verse and this passage at times for a person or people who are particularly prone to depressive thoughts... They might think on those words and say, wow, this is my condition now. It's dark, and Jesus isn't anywhere to be found. In Matthew 14, there's a phrase that's used when Jesus shows up that's not used in John 6. And that phrase is, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Now, when we think about that, it's not about just picking yourself up. It's not about, hey, have a better mindset. It was Jesus, when he showed up, he told the disciples who were on this ship, who were rowing, and again, these are just two accounts of this. Jesus says, be of good cheer. It's I. I'm here. I remember through the darkest hours of my life that I've ever faced personally, It was those words that helped me the most. Be of good cheer. Because it's not about that it's never going to be dark. It's not about that we're never going to experience life where we're not going to have dark moments. But what Jesus was reminding them is even when Jesus seems as if he's not there, he's there. He's always been there. Now remember, Jesus sent them out on this boat. We'll look at this more closely. Jesus sent them out on this boat by themselves intentionally. He put them on that sea in order that they might see, that he may see their faith. Now Matthew gives an account of Peter walking on the water. John doesn't say anything about it. But I want us to think this morning that when we think about dark times and we think about feeling as if Jesus is not there. Remember, for the believer, he's always there. He's always there. Now, it doesn't mean they weren't fearful. I've heard preachers say, you should never be fearful. I can't find any scripture for that. 
Fearful is only a problem if we stay continually fearful and we think that the reason we need to be afraid is because God has left us. Then that's a fearful thing. But he's not left us. But we shouldn't remain in fear or even wonder, is it ever going to get better? Because God is always with us. Now, right then, Jesus wasn't there. Right then, bodily, he wasn't there. There was no two ways about it. They were in a dark condition, and he was not there. I wrote to myself this week, have I ever been in that condition? Have I ever felt this way? And the answer is yes. Numerous times. Multiple times. Repeatedly. <laughs> Situations where I was in the dark another time and God showed up and the same situation arises again and I'm in the dark again and I still have the same fear that I had the first time it happens. Everybody following me? These times of darkness they do repeat themselves. Sometimes they come upon us at the least expected times. Sometimes we're dark as far as our circumstances. We're dark or sometimes we just feel dark. Has anybody ever told you that before? I just feel dark. I told Jennifer many times when I went through the roughest time of my life, I said, that's what it feels like. It feels like it's always dark feels like clouds are just, the dark clouds are just rolling in. You can't explain it. You don't know really why it's happening, but you just feel dark. Is everybody relating to me? It just feels dark. Even on a sunny day, it feels dark. Well, that's, that's kind of what I started thinking about. I think, well, that they're literally in the dark here. But their circumstances appeared to be, there's not any hope. We, we're sitting in the middle of this sea. Jesus isn't with us. And now we're going to have to deal with this all alone. Now, there's a couple of things that happen that put these disciples on the sea that I think are very telling as to what's happening here. If you see in John 6, you see that in verse 15, Jesus perceives something that's getting ready to happen. And it says, when Jesus perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king... He departed again into a mountain himself alone to pray. Here's this call that we see to make Christ a king. Now, here's where I had to stop and think about something. You don't make a king who's already a king. You can't make him a king. Christ is king, right? He's already the king. Their idea was to make him a king for themselves. But notice it was Jesus perceived it. They didn't say it. They didn't show it. This is the omniscience of God through Christ who knew their hearts. He knew their thoughts. He knew what purposes they had for him. In other words, I know what they're getting ready to do. What were they going to do? He perceived that they were going to come and take him by force. They had determined in their mind that they were going to pull him in, gather him as seize him, in a violent manner. That's what the word force means. I, you take somebody by force, it's never usually light and gentle. It is by force. In other words, they were going to come upon him and they were going to take him and make him a king. Now remember, they wanted, the Jews especially, wanted to be delivered from the Roman bondage that they were under. 
Remember, the Jews had looked forward to a Messiah who would come, and they were always looking for a a kingdom to be established now. They were looking for, we want this kingdom now. We want Jesus on the throne now. Folks, that's not unlike us today. We We want all of the fulfillment of Christ's promises. We want them fulfilled now. So we're still at times when things seem like they're not as they should be. That's why we still have these moments where the darkness still comes. The times when we think that everything should be a certain way. They wanted Jesus for themselves and they wanted Him to be their King now. They wanted a, a now deliverance. We want it now. Take away the bondage. Take away the yoke. But this was not the time yet. Jesus had not yet, his time had not yet come. But look what Jesus does. They said they would come and take him by force to make him a king. He departed again into a mountain himself alone. Now, John doesn't say why he went to the mountain, but Matthew did tell us why. Matthew 14, 23 says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. One of the great mysteries, one of the great mysteries is why does Jesus need to pray? Have you ever stopped to think about that for a minute? Why does Jesus need to pray? If he's God, why is he praying? Christ leaves this company and he departs and he goes up to this mountain alone. He left the company of these multitudes of people. He didn't take his disciples with him. He didn't say, men, let's go. Now remember, in many ways, even his disciples were looking for a temporal kingdom. They were looking for something to be established now. Christ went into this mountain. The reasons that he went into this mountain were primarily for them to see in an attempt to show that his kingdom is not of this world. He didn't let them take him because he did not want them to see the point. My kingdom is not about this world. My kingdom is not about making me the king of this temporal thing we call earth or temporal nation. But he's also teaching his followers something. He's teaching his disciples something. If all you're after is a temporal or a temporary redeemer. Jesus, I believe, was sending a very clear message that right now you're even unworthy of my presence. If all you see me as is a temporary solution to your earthly problems, you're unworthy of my presence. Now today I'll tell you the same thing. If all you want Jesus for is for comfort in this life and temporary satisfaction, he has every reason in the world to remove himself from all of us. Now, he does give temporal satisfaction. I can't imagine life without Christ. I can't imagine living a single moment on this planet without Christ in my life. How an unbeliever does it or how a person who's away from God does it, I will never understand it because I could not make it a day without knowing that there is a kingdom coming 
And it is not just about the now and now. Now, people will disagree with my that, and that's okay. That's just, when you look at this and you see it, Jesus pulls himself away. It doesn't tell us exactly why he went, but I'm thinking they wanted to make him a king. And he said, no, you're not going to make me a king. He went away. He was alone into a private prayer. Christ's prayers were prayers of intercession. John 17 is filled with Christ's prayers of intercession. Well, who was he praying for? His own. He was praying things like, not that you'll keep them from the world, but that I would be in them and them in me. Jesus never went before the Father and said, hey, take away all of their problems. He never said that. He never once went to the Father and said, Father, would you take away all of the the sheep's problems? But that I would be in them and they would be in me. All that you've given me, Father, all of them. You see, he prayed that God would open the minds. When he interceded, he was interceding that his disciples would understand. He was interceding that people would understand of their mistaken notions about a temporal, temporary kingdom. Now, the disciples find themselves alone. The Bible says in verse 16, when even was now come. Now, that's an interesting phrase. If we understood the calendars and the timing of the hour, we would know that we think about evening and we have in our mind's eye. Some of us say that in our time, that's six o'clock, that's seven o'clock, whatever you want to say. But the Jewish calendars were different. They had, they had a number of different things classified as evenings or part of the, the evening time. But we do know this, and when that evening was come, his disciples went down into the sea. Now, verse 22 of Matthew 14 says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Matthew 14, 22 tells us that Jesus constrained them. The word constrained literally means to, uh, to, to, to move with... Uh, with some force, with some compelling. So those disciples find themselves on a sea in a ship that Jesus put them on. These guys didn't just say, hey, let's go get on a boat and go to the other side. Jesus put them in the ship and he said, I'm sending you on ahead. And he sent them on ahead of him. So was Jesus aware of the ship? Was he aware of the sea? Was he aware of the storm? Was he aware of the darkness? Of course he was. Jesus didn't have to check and see, is the weather going to be perfect for sailing tonight? Is the weather, is it, it, they knew it was dark and he put them on a ship anyway. He put them on this boat and he sent them on ahead while he sent the multitudes away. And then that's when Matthew tells us that he went up up into a, a mountain apart to pray. The verse 24 of Matthew tells us, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves for the wind was contrary. Now again, we see, in, and I've, I've got both of these passages open side by side. If you can do that, that's great. But John 6 says, and the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. All right, John gets to the point. John's just like, sea's moving and the wind's blowing. 
Matthew is telling us the ship is in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Matthew's a little bit more dramatic. He just uses his words a little bit different. But there was a common thing happening. It was dark. It was storming. The Bible tells us in John 6, 19, so when they had rowed about 5 and 20 or 30 furlongs. So the disciples are rowing against this. They are fighting for everything they had. One of the other accounts, I think it's the account in Mark, mentions they were toiling and rowing. They were fighting hard, as hard as they could, against the sea, to no avail. So his disciples are on the sea, which is the Sea of Galilee. By the constraint of Christ who sends them, and God... Christ himself is in solitary prayer. He's, he's praying. We're not told what Jesus is praying at the, either account. We're not told what he's praying for, who he's praying for, why he's praying. We're just told he's up in this mountain and he's praying. The disciples get into the ship, over to the sea towards Capernaum, and it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. Darkness. Darkness made the voyage even more uncomfortable than it already was. Not being able to see the storm around you, of course, would have made it even worse. Made it worse than it was. I don't know what's the worst storm you've ever been in. Literally speaking, storming on a sea, storming on land, or storm in your life. But understand something, these disciples, if you were to tell them, is this the worst storm you've ever seen? At that moment, that was the worst storm they'd ever seen. You know what the worst storm in your life is? The one you're going through right now. Now, you've probably had worse storms. You might have worse storms, but the one that's, the one that's prominent now is the one that you're dealing with at the current moment. And again, you're giving me some liberty today. I'm making some applications with things. That storm is... Is always seems to be the worst. Doesn't lessen it. Doesn't mean that the ones coming or the ones after the one before are going to be more or less. But typically where you are now, I imagine these disciples are not thinking about other things they've gone through. They're thinking about the right now, what I'm doing for right now. Right now, whatever we're dealing with in our lives personally is temporary. Every single thing in our life that we're dealing with right now, humanly speaking, is temporary. Doesn't lessen it. Doesn't mean it's unimportant, but it's temporary. It will not be forever. Remember, they wanted Christ as a temporary solution to the problem. You know, many people, when... The storm comes, they cry out to God, and their cry is to just remove the storm. Take the storm out. Jesus was not about just taking the storm away. He had something so much more for these disciples, more than just removing the troublesome times in their life. Jesus sent them out on that sea on purpose. He sent them out knowing that the sea was going to rise and it was going to swell and the storm was going to rage. The waves were going to toss that ship from side to side. 
The great wind blowing, of course, is going to make the sea even worse, lifted up the waves. And verse 19 tells us when they had rowed, they had rowed probably as far as they could get, 5, 20, 30 furlongs, three or four miles, people estimate it was. It may have been more than that. But here they've been tossed. It's dark. And Jesus is nowhere to be found. I ask you at the beginning, have you ever felt that way? You've been tossed. You've been, you've been moved. Say, all right, I've had enough. Jesus, where are you? Where have you gone? Verse 25 of Matthew 14 says, and in the fourth watch, it's estimated it would have been around 3 a.m. if you're interested in wanting to know exactly what that is. The fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Okay, just when it was at its darkest, just when it was at the place where they had given up, they couldn't do anything else, they look out and they see Jesus walking on the sea. Immediately you think, help has come, there he is. Well, no, here's how they responded to Matthew 14, which I read. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. The word spirit in the Greek, the Greek term for spirit is a term that could refer to the spirit of a dead person, an angel, or a demon. So they see Jesus and they don't say, hey, there, there comes Jesus. They say, there comes a demon. I'm not going to speculate here, but isn't it interesting? Hadn't they seen Jesus before? Wouldn't they have been able to identify him and see him? I mean, they've seen him face to face. You know, they had one, they had one advantage you and I don't have. You've never seen Jesus face to face. The only depiction you have of him is what some artist has tried to put on some piece of paper. And by the way, often that becomes the vision, the, the view of Jesus you have. When I say Jesus, you have a picture in your mind, don't you? You, you think he looks like this, he looks like this, he looks like this. This is what Jesus is. And again, that's all speculation. That's all somebody thinking. They had seen him with their own two eyes. And yet they still were afraid and troubled and say, this must be some kind of an evil spirit. Now, in John 6, 19, it says, They see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. So either account, whether you read in Matthew or you read in John, you see the same thing. The cause of the disciples' fear was not only the storm around them, but now they're fearful of even seeing Jesus himself walking on this water. Now what was it? They had seen Jesus perform miracles before. Did they think he couldn't do that? Did they think it was impossible? What was behind them saying, this must be some other kind of an evil spirit? Now, what's interesting, what's interesting is, and if you want to turn there, if you look at Mark chapter number six, Mark actually adds another phrase to it. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing when you put these narratives together. Mark says this in Mark 6, 48 about this event. He says, and when he saw them toiling and rowing, 
for the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. He would have passed by them. John doesn't mention that. Matthew doesn't mention it. Jesus, it says, he saw them toiling and rowing. Jesus sighted them at whatever distance that was. You're talking about a supernatural vision, being able to see. But it says he would have passed by them. Again, what's happening here? And yet, in Mark, he uses the same terminology, be of good cheer, it is I. People have tried to speculate how was he, how was he walking on the, on the water? How was, he, was he walking towards them or walking near them? The Bible said he was drawing nigh unto the ship. He was walking towards that ship. Again, the fear was caused by the storm, but the fear was also caused by the sight of himself, of Jesus himself. But then notice what happens immediately. He saith unto them, it is I. Be not afraid. He doesn't say, it's me, Jesus. He doesn't give his name. He just says, it is I. It's just, it's me. The calming of the seas and the, disciple, and the calming of the disciples' fears is directly related to Jesus' words. It is I. Now notice he tells them, don't be afraid. He doesn't, John doesn't say anything about him calming the sea first. He simply says, be not afraid. Matthew continues the story and talks about Peter answered and asked, Lord, if, if it's you, let me get out of the boat and come unto thee on the water. And Jesus, of course, in Matthew says, come. And when Peter was come down into the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. Immediately when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. But even in compassion, when, when Peter starts to sink, he cried, Lord, save me. And what does Jesus do? Immediately he reached out his hand, caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Now the beauty of that is, is Jesus still grabbed his hand. <laughs> Are y'all following? He still grabbed his hand. He didn't say, you foolish coward. He grabbed his hand in his face and he said, why do you doubt? I keep thinking about that, but he still grabbed his hand. Listen, there have been more than, more times than I can count where I have I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, you know what? You're just flat out doubting God. You're flat out doubting him. You, you, <laughs> you have no faith. I've looked at myself and said, you have absolutely no faith at all. You know, it's easy. It's easy to have faith when everything is going right. Nobody struggles with faith when everything here is going right. Matter of fact, we praise God as if he is the, the best thing. 
But it is really hard when you feel like you're sinking. You know, it's an amazing thing about that whole story. I, I, it, it's not in John, but it's, so, but it's an amazing thing, number one, that, that Peter actually got out on the water to begin with. Have you ever thought about that? He stepped out on the water. The fact that Peter, Jesus let him come to him that far, and the fact that when he went to sink, God still grabbed his hand. But think about all that's happening here. Matthew tells us, and when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. John doesn't mention about when this, the wind ceased at all. John just says, Jesus said unto them, be not afraid. These two accounts show us an entire picture of what's happening here. Here, Jesus tells these disciples, be of good cheer. What does it mean to be of good cheer? It doesn't mean smile all the time. It doesn't mean put on a happy face. If Jesus had just said, be of good cheer, what, what's he doing? He's saying, you depend upon you. In other words, cheer yourself up. Be of good cheer, actually the meaning of it is have courage. Have courage, it is I. When Jesus uses the word phrase, it is I, it is literally a reference to I am. You know what Jesus was telling them? Have courage, it's Jehovah. All-powerful God. Have courage. You realize, and Peter could have, could have made this application, you are literally being held by the hand of Jehovah, by the hand of Almighty God. Jesus later says in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. 2,000 years before Christ ever was, Abraham was saying, I was already the great I am. Christ is teaching and has taught that he is ancient, he is eternal, that he is Jehovah, whose name literally means I am. In the darkest of nights, in the worst of the storms, Jesus says, I am Jehovah. I am all-powerful God. When you think about this command, this command was to be not afraid. And then look what it says in verse 21 of John. It says, Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whether they went. When they knew who he was, and here's how we knew that they eventually acknowledged it. Again, Matthew 14 tells us when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the son of God. Here was the recognition that when the wind ceased, when Christ rebuked the storms, Jesus calming of the sea showed his power over even nature. They worshiped him. To worship is a sign that Christ is to be honored as God. Now remember, those Jews and those crowds wanted Jesus for nothing more than a temporal kingdom who would take away the problem of the Romans. Jesus wanted these disciples to see, I'm much more than that. I'm God. 
I'm Jehovah God. Remember, when we started this, Jesus was accused of blasphemy, wasn't he? Of claiming equality with God. It was one of the things that the Jews tried to uh, arraign him on, that you're healing on the Sabbath day, you're breaking our law, and you're claiming equality with God. Yet what did Jesus want those men on that ship to know? I am God. I am God. There should be no doubt in your mind this morning as a child of God, as a follower, as a believer, that he is not just some temporary help-me-get-through-my-life figure. This is Jehovah God who has grabbed my hand, has held my hand in the darkest of hours, has been with me in the darkest of storms, who the one who even when my faith is failing, even when I'm not living as I should be, I am still his and nothing or no one can pluck me out of his hand. I'm not talking about a God who's just going to make my life good here. I'm talking about Jehovah God. I'm talking about a God who's holding my hand eternally. I will take the eternal hand holding of God over any earthly thing you can give me. You can have it all because if God has got my hand eternally, then the most important thing is being taken care of. Jesus never once told his disciples, expect smooth sailing, figuratively speaking, in life or on a sea. They didn't have it easy. Folks, I'd be doing you a great disservice if I stood up here and said, listen, if you just come to Jesus, I'm telling you, your life is going to be smooth as can be. But you know what every storm does in your life? Every storm in your life reminds you, I'm so glad that my faith is not in something temporary as this. My faith is in an everlasting Jehovah God. Who this is not the end of my life. This is not it. And whatever I'm dealing with today is temporary. Whatever is struggling with me today, it's temporary. You say, but you don't understand the depth of my struggle, nor do you understand the depth of my struggle. That's the beauty of this, is no matter the struggle, it's the same God at the heart of both of them. The same hand that's holding you up is the same hand holding me up. And that God, that Savior of these men, is the same God today. He has not changed. I don't see him bodily, but he's still there. You know, there wasn't a moment on the sea that Jesus didn't know exactly where those disciples were. Nautically speaking, <laughs> he knew exactly of the location on the sea that they were at. He knew pinpoint exactly. And even today, he knows exactly where you are. It's not a matter of God looking at us and saying, how did they get out of my sight? When did they drift away? When did they, when did they get out of my sight? You realize you can't do that. I remember one year I was with a, a friend of mine. We thought it'd be a good idea to go out on a bay in a little, one of those little uh, motorboats just had a, the, boat, the, mo the motor on the back. We didn't check the, we didn't check the fuel how much fuel was in it. We just wanted to get out on the bay and have fun. We were down in, in Florida on St. John's Bay. And we ran, out of, we ran out of gas in the middle of this bay that was right out, it's, it literally goes right out into the ocean. And I'm talk, you talk about feeling alone. I mean, we're sitting out in the middle of a boat with absolutely no gas and, and the ocean's out there. Nobody knows where we are. We don't have cell phones. 
You know, can you imagine, we think somebody's got to know where we are. At that moment, we thought nobody has any idea where we are. We didn't tell anybody where we're going. But you know, God has never lost sight of you one time. He's never lost sight. And even when we think we're left and nobody knows, he knows exactly where we are. What's fascinating about this is people often miss the miracle in this. The Bible says that they were tossed to and fro and they were going. And if you've ever been disoriented like that, you're not sure which direction. Verse 21 tells us that when Jesus was received in the ship, immediately the ship was at the land, whether it went. Guess what happened? That ship ended up exactly where it was headed. In the midst of all that storm, all that darkness, all that trouble, guess what? It still got to the exact port where it was supposed to get to. It got there. Why did it get there? It was by the divine hand of God. The wind ceased, but there was another miracle being wrought. The ship was in an instant at the place where they intended it to go. They thought, we're lost. We don't know where we're going. It's dark, and yet the ship was at the port where Jesus had sent them. Now remember, Matthew had said that Jesus constrained his disciples to go on the ship to go to the other side. Do you think Jesus ever had a doubt about his disciples getting to the other side? No, he never wondered, are they going to make it? Matthew records Peter's attempt to walk on the water. John doesn't. Doesn't make the situation any less. The wind ceased when Jesus came into the ship. But that confession of faith, that assurance that they make, thou art the Son of God. The moment they realized that Jesus was with them, then they were exactly where they wanted to be. People say today, Christ doesn't work miracles anymore. Christ is at the right hand of the Father. Doesn't work miracles. Folks, you realize that the presence of Christ every day in your life is an absolute miracle. The fact you're sitting in darkness sometimes in the darkest circumstance you may ever face, you're not sitting there alone. I've met people in my life who said, I mean, they could be surrounded by hundreds of people and they say, I am so alone. And I say, if you're in Christ, you could never be alone. No matter how hard you tried to get away from God, you couldn't get away from him. His presence is always there. The presence of Christ works miracles every day in our life. One day, we're going to be safely received into that safe haven of glory. One day, I don't know when that'll be. But folks, we have to remember the same thing the disciples had to remember. When the dark storms and the dark times of life come upon you, remember, the Lord simply says, it's I, it is I, be not afraid. You know, we think about it all the time. We think about if I just had this or it was just better and this was this and this was this. Listen, it's not about the situation. It's about remembering the presence of Christ in the situation. You know, it's startling to me how quickly, how quickly we forget his presence. And I'm talking every aspect of our life. Sometimes we go all day and we never stop to think, do you realize we have Almighty Jehovah God with us? 
And when that first problem that tomorrow hits you, that first situation rises up, is the first thing you think about the presence of Christ or how dark it is. You know, you, this doesn't happen by, without discipline. You, you don't just wake up one day and start thinking about the presence of Christ. You have to literally begin training yourself and praying for God's help that when, when dark times come, that I don't think about the dark around me. I think about the presence of Christ, who's the light. When the dark times come, don't think about how dark it is. Think about how bright the light of Christ is. Because the only way we're ever going to be able to endure, because I can't tell you, I, I can't promise you no storms. I can't promise you anything. I can't promise you anything except what God himself has promised, that one day all of this is going to be done away with. All of it. You think about the worst thing in your life right now, it's going to be, as a child of God, it's gone. It's, it will not remain. But it's not right now. It could be. Could be today. I'm not sitting watching any man-made calendar for when God could decide that it's time to make all things right. I'm just looking for him. So I get up every day, not looking for events, not looking for hints and signs and wonders. I just get up every day and say, is this the day Christ is going to come make all things right? And one of these days I'm going to be right. <laughs> Unless it's after I've already died and gone to glory with him. And then don't worry about that. It is I. Be not afraid. Let's pray together. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for your compassion. We thank you for your kindness and your goodness. And Lord, it's so easy for us to forget when we're going through difficult times. But Lord, these disciples knew what it was to struggle. Lord, they knew that, Father, the wind and the sea was raging around them. And Father, we even are able to read and see that, Lord, we know that you sent them there and that even that storm was not without purpose. It was part of the plan of God. Lord, we cannot begin to understand all that we're going to endure, all that we're going to go through, but Lord, we have been promised the presence of God in our lives. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that reminds us each and every moment that we are indeed the children of God of Jehovah God. Lord, I do pray for the very many needs that have been mentioned today, Lord, and this message today seems much so appropriate for the hour. Lord, I pray that you would just work in a mighty way in each situation, Lord. May we have faith, not doubt you, trust in your word. Lord, we praise you and thank you for all these things, and it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.